No, his name is John. What? You don't have any relatives named John. It doesn't matter. His name is to be John. Well, we'll see about that. Zacharias? You want your child to be named Zacharias? Yeah. yeah. Abijah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good name. Yeah. Ah, Aaron. Yeah, yeah. I know. Eleazar. That's it. Yes! <gasps> Finally, I can speak. Honey, please, please, don't ever, ever make creamed rutabaga ever again. What's going on? God, he, he, he took my voice when I didn't believe his angel, when he told me about my child, my child. For nine months, nine months, for nine months, I spent contemplating my lack of faith and observing his word. And now that all this has happened, I can't stop, I won't stop talking about his great plan. Praise be to the Lord God of Israel. For he has come to help his people and to give them freedom. He has sent a mighty Savior from the line of his servant David. He is to free us from our enemies and from the power of those that hate us. This was the promise he made to our father Abraham. A promise to free us from the power of our enemies so that we may serve him without fear in a way that is holy and right all the days of our lives. And you, my son, you will be called a prophet of the Most High God. You will go before the Savior and you will ready the way for him. You will help his people understand that they will be saved through the forgiveness of their sins. Through the mercy of our loving God, a new day will shine upon us. It will bring light to those who live in darkness and in fear of death. And it will guide us to a way that brings peace. Good morning, everybody, and uh, welcome to Greater Alton Church, and um, good to have you with us this morning. Uh, we're looking at the songs of Christmas. You know, songs are powerful. 
I've noticed that uh, they can make me cry. They can anger me sometimes. Sometimes they can excite me. Uh, sometimes a song will trigger a memory. They're that powerful. Christmas songs are powerful as well. Uh, if you are a country western fan, you probably have heard of Travis Tritt. Early in his career, he learned something. He shared in an interview that when he would go to these bars or these dives, these little honky-tonks where he'd play, uh, there'd be a lot of rough people in the crowd. And every once in a while, a fight might start. Maybe a biker or a drunk would get into it. And when he began to sense the tension in the room, he'd stop what he was doing and start playing Silent Night on the guitar. And it had an amazing effect in the room. Everybody began to calm down. Grown big biker men, you know, these big guys uh, would put the broken bottle down and just listen. And he said, and sometimes they, you'd even see a tear in their eye as they watched him sweat bullets playing Christmas songs. And that's, you know, it, that's the power of some of these Christmas songs. And we've been looking at some powerful songs here in the Bible. And today I want to look at a powerful song from an old man by the name of Zechariah. Now before we can talk about this song, we've got to know a little background about this the guy that uh, sang this song. we got a little glimpse of it uh, in our drama today. And if you've got a Bible and you'd like to read along in Luke chapter 1, I think we're going to have it up here as well, up on the screen. We're going to pick it up in verse 5. I'll probably make a comment or two as we read here. In the time of Herod, uh, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. So he was a priest. He wasn't a high priest, but he was a priest. And priests served in the temple. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. So she was a Levite as well. And this made them a very special couple. And it, it, uh, they were looked upon with a lot of favor and respect. Uh, you know, I don't know what it is. It's still true. When you marry somebody that believes similar to you, it goes a long way, doesn't it? And that's what's, hap- that's what's happened to the two of them. Both of them, it says, were upright in God's sight, observing all the Lord's commandments and regulations blamelessly. So they had great character, great godly character. But it says something here. It says they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and they were both well along in years. I believe they were between the ages of 50 and 70. And so they're, this is beyond childbearing years now. And they haven't had children. You might say, well, what's the big problem with that? Well, I've, I've met couples who have had trouble with fertility, had trouble having children. And it's not a pleasant experience. And especially in Jewish culture, because in Jewish culture, you were encouraged to have many children because one of them could be the Messiah. And so everybody had children. And if you didn't, it was looked upon as if maybe there was something wrong with you. Maybe you weren't so righteous after all. Maybe God was punishing you. And this brought a lot of shame and embarrassment to Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And we find out that he's, he's a servant. He's not a high priest, but he serves in the temple. There were over 24, between 20 to 24,000 priests that served in the temple. Now, they didn't serve it all at one time. No one really could do that. It, uh, they were broken in divisions, 24 different divisions, about a thousand in each division, give or take a few. And uh, all of them would serve uh, 
maybe during Pentecost or Passover or the Feast of Tabernacles. But most of the time, these priests were chosen by lot and they would serve two weeks out of the year and they would do just general serving in the temple area. Now, they wouldn't do it two weeks in a row. They'd do it one week, one time, and one week another. And Zechariah was uh, selected especially to burn incense. And this is, this is interesting because um, to burn incense in this place called the Holies, not the Holy of Holies where the Ark of the Covenant is, but just outside of it was a room called the Holies. And that's where they would burn incense. And they would do this every morning and every evening. To be selected to burn incense in the Holies was a rare, once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Many priests never were selected their whole lives. And here is Zechariah, who's between the ages of 50 and 70, and he's finally selected to offer incense. And this incense is, is burned inside this, this room, and it is, it is a symbol of the rising prayers coming from not only the priest in the room, and by the way, what he's praying for is the coming of the Messiah. The people outside or outside of the court, they're praying as well. And they're praying that the Messiah, they're praying for the Messiah to show up. And after he would get done offering the incense, this priest would always walk out and give a benediction. That's why this song is called the Benedictus. Mary's song is called the Magnificent. This is called the Benedictus. And so he gives this parting blessing. May the Lord's face shine upon you. May He turn to you with favor. And may you find peace. From number 6. We'll see that in a minute. Well, so, so he is chosen to, to do this once in a lifetime moment. A priest would never get to do this again. Once he got, got to do this, his name was taken off the list. And so you can just imagine all these guys getting ready for maybe they'd have their moment, uh, to be, uh, to be selected to offer this incense. I don't know, I could just imagine Zechariah maybe uh, talking to other men that had got to do this. What's it like? What do you do? How do you burn the incense? What's in the room? What, do I, what should I be prepared for? Maybe there's a handbook. You know, what's the handbook say? Grab it this way, do this, say these words, make these steps. I don't know. I can just imagine he's trying to get ready for it. And notice here it says, And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and gripped with fear. This was not in the handbook. Nobody told me this was going to happen. What's an angel doing here? Well, an angel has never appeared there. It's been 400 years since God has spoken to Israel. And in 400 years, for the very first time, Gabriel appears before Zechariah. No wonder he's afraid. He wasn't expecting it. But the angel said to him, don't be afraid. Zechariah, your prayer has been heard. Mm. What's the prayer? Well, it goes on to say, your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you'll give him the name John. So has he been praying about kids? This man is between 50 and 70 years old. Let me tell you, he's not praying for kids anymore. I'm 60. I don't pray for kids anymore. I don't even pray for grandkids anymore. And there's stuff, some are still coming. And there's plans for more. Sometimes God answers no. I mean, anyway, so, so 
but 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 he's but but he's not been asking that. He's given up on that years ago. Well, what's he praying? He's praying the standard prayer that priests pray when they're offering incense. Lord, when's your Messiah coming? Please bring the Messiah to the earth. And Gabriel says, I've heard your prayers. And you're going to give birth to a son. I guess part of the coming of the Messiah included his family. And he says, you're going to have this son. You're going to name him John. Verse 14, he'll be a joy and a delight to you. Wouldn't that, you would like to know that ahead of time, parents? He's not going to have the colic. He's not going to get up every hour. He's going to be a good kid. And it says, and many will rejoice because of his birth. He's going to have impact on many people. And look what it says here. And he'll be great in the sight of the Lord. Let me tell you, if you're a parent, if you're a Christian parent, you learn something. This is what you want your child to be. Great in the eyes of God. Who cares if they're not popular at school? Who cares? Listen, they're going to get picked on at school. They're not, they're not going to be noticed sometimes. They're going to get overlooked. Their hearts are going to get broken. But I'll tell you what, in spite of all that, they may not be the fastest on the team or hit the ball really well, but I'll tell you, it doesn't matter if they're great in the sight of the Lord. That's what you want. That's what every parent wants. And I get to see Zechariah just going, really? Yeah, he'll be great in the sight of God. He's never to take wine or ferment a drink. Why not? Because you won't have a clear head, and I need a clear-headed man to do this. No, he'll, instead of being drunk with wine, he's going to be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from birth. Many of the people of Israel, he'll bring back to the Lord their God, and he'll go on before the Lord. He has a role to play. He has a part to play in this. He's not the Messiah. Am I, I'm going to have a son? Is this the, No, wrong tribe, Zechariah. He's coming from Judah. But your son's going to play a part in this. He's going to be in the spirit of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers of their children and to disobedient to the wisdom and righteousness and to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. He's getting the people ready for Jesus. Why do the people need to be ready? Because they've got off track over the years. They've went from being focused on the, what sin does to someone to what Rome is doing to them now. And they're looking for a Messiah to come get them out from under the Roman thumb. And Jesus is about getting us out of our sin. He's about redemption and freedom from sin. Then Zechariah asks this question, how can I be sure of this? What's wrong with that? Didn't Mary say, how's this going to happen? Didn't Gideon say, how are you going to do this? Yeah, didn't Abraham and Sarah say, you know, you want us to have a, we're going to have a kid? Uh, how, I, you know, I'm a hundred, she's ninety. This is a popular question. Everybody has doubts. What's in all things work? But there's something deeper going on here. He's saying, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man and my wife is well along in years. I told the first service, I could see him going, I'm an old man and my wife. She's old too. Just to be safe, okay? Yeah. Why is he asking that? Why is he saying, how can I be sure? You know when a Jew is asking, how can I be sure? You know what he's asking for? A sign. Give me a sign. That's what Gideon's asking. Give me a sign. How am I going to know this? And what's Gabriel's response? I am Gabriel. I'm standing right here in front of you, buddy. Nobody's been here for 400 years, and here I am. 
You want all you can be sure? I stand next to God. I'm one of the seven angels that stands next to God, according to Revelation. You, you ought to be glad I'm not Michael. Because if Michael were here... <laughs> no, I'm here. I've been sent to you to bring good news. I've got a message for you. I'm breaking the silence of God and you happen to be the guy. And you want to know how you can be sure? No, don't say another word for nine months. That's what he says. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you don't believe my words which will come true at the proper time. But wait a minute. Mary asks how could it be. She's asking how it's going to work. Not she's doubting it. How's this going to happen? Because I'm a virgin. How are, we, how are we working this? She's not saying, how can this be? How's, it, how's this going to play out? You bringing somebody? <laughs> Zach's asking, how can this even happen? It's amazing how unbelief will shut my words down. How silent giving unbelief is. What can I say when I don't believe? No wonder I don't want to share my faith or I'm afraid to share my faith with people. I'm not sure if I believe it myself. And so, God takes, by the way, God takes unbelief seriously. So seriously that He shuts that down for nine months. Meanwhile, the people are waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. You know, they've done their prayer groups. I watch you sometimes. Some of you go, we're done. How come? When's the song starting? You know, and they've been praying. Anybody else got anything to pray about? No. We're kind of done. Shouldn't he be out by now? Yeah. Why is he going so long? What's going on? He's supposed to come out and give this big blessing, this benediction. And when Zechariah comes out, the Bible says, that he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple. I wonder what gave it away. You know, scared to death, or he can't he can't talk. You check out verse sixty two, he can't hear either. He can't hear anything, he can't say anything. When, this, when his time of service was completed, he returned home. So he completed his week, did his job, did his part, went home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. Why? Possible she's had so many miscarriages, she doesn't want to get her hopes up too high. So she's staying hidden for a while to make sure this baby's going to be healthy. Now she can talk. And look what she says. The Lord has done this for me. He doesn't doubt it. The Lord has done this, she said for me. In these days, He has shown His favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. See the, the disgrace and the shame of not having a child. And she goes, man, the Lord has taken that away from me. So she's excited. How long can you go without talking? I can go nine seconds. I'm working on it. I've worked up to 10, maybe 10. How can you go? You know, when you're in a group and you're here, you got to get in there. He is nine months. Nine months he isn't able to say a word. 
and possibly not able to hear either for nine months. What are you doing all that silence? God is breaking his silence and he can't, he's told to shut up. So what's he, what's he doing these nine months? I think Zechariah is thinking. I think he, all he can do is watch. And what does he see? What's he learning? Well, he sees people excited coming to his house all the time, coming in. They're all excited. And he's like, what is, you know, what's going on? They're all excited. See, they, they believe something cool is happening, so they're excited. He can't hear it. He can't, he can't join in it. What's he going to do? It's not going to work. So he's just watching that. He sees his wife, her belly getting bigger and bigger. And he's like, it's happening. This is really happening. He sees Mary come over and watches his wife go, oh, Holy Spirit made the baby leap. And, and he's watching and, and they're talking. He can't make out what they're saying, but Mary's excited. Elizabeth is excited. But he can't get excited because he doesn't know what's really... It's quiet. There's no noise. What's he do with his quiet time? Isn't it amazing? Some of the best lessons we learn are in our quiet time. I'm not talking about when we're opening it up, Bible and looking, but in those moments where we can't say anything and do anything, all we can do is just sit and wait. And it drives us crazy. I want something to happen. I want something to get done. I want to control it. And God goes, no. But I want, no. But I, no. No. Some of the best lessons come when there's no noise. When it's quiet. Think about the Apostle Paul. If you remember in Acts 9, he's blind for three days, yet he sees so much. He sees himself. He sees the Lord. And he sees his plan. And as Zechariah sits in silence, he sees God. He sees himself. He sees God. And he sees God's plan. I can just imagine again Zechariah thinking, what does the guy think about that can't talk and can't hear? All he can remember are the noises before this all happened. And the last noise that he heard was himself saying, how can I be sure? That's the last words he said, words of doubt. And then this reprimand from Gabriel. Now if we go back to Luke 1, and we pick it up. I think that's where the skit picked it up. It's the, it's the day that uh, John is born. The baby is born, it says here in Luke. Um, and uh, as he's as they're getting ready, it says that uh, I think something about uh, eight days later, they're going to circum they circumcise the child and they're going to name the child. It says, when it came time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown great mercy and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise a child 
and they were going to name him after his father, which is traditional. That's what you do. You name him after the father. But the mother spoke up and said, no, he's not to be called John. Somehow, Zechariah got that point across to his wife. He's not to be called, he's to be called John, not, not Zechariah. Are you ashamed of him because he can't talk? Is he embarrassing you that much? No, I thought it at all. They say to her, there's no one among your relatives has got that. No one in your family has that name. Why are you picking that one? It says, then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name his child. So he can't hear. They're making signs. He asked for a writing tablet. And to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, his name is John. And immediately, and I thought Brian did a great job. Boom! Out comes. He's able to talk. And what's he say? Let me tell you what happened in the temple. No. I, I don't have to talk about that. Let me tell you what happened to me while I was quiet. Let, let me tell you what God did to me while I was quiet. Let me tell you what I've learned while I was silent. And now that I'm going to break my silence, I can only think of these things. Say these words. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be the Lord God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of His servant David, as He said through the Holy Prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to show mercy to our ancestors and remember His holy covenant. The oath He swore to our father Abraham. I've got to stop there and just say something. Our Bible stories just a lot of BS? Bible stories? I think Zechariah, he knew about the story of Abraham and Sarah. Knew they couldn't have children. Knew God provided a child. How can, how can I be sure of this? See, he knew the story, but he didn't believe the story. Good lesson for us, huh? He, he, he believes it now. He says, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, my child, he turns to John now, his baby, will be called a prophet, not a priest, but a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for Him, to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of sins, because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the path of peace. I want you again notice this as I read that. He says, He has come. He has. He has raised up as if it's already happened, just like Mary. See, Zechariah now has went from doubts to he is certain. He is sure. His faith has changed during that quiet time. It's went from doubting what God can do to being sure. See, Christmas changed this man's life forever. And it wants to change yours forever too. How does it do that? When does Christmas have that kind of impact on my life? Well, 
when I believe four things about Christmas. Number one, I believe God came here for me. He came here for me. You may say, I already know that. I forget that. But that keeps you humble. He came here for you. He came here for me. Look how he starts. Praise be the Lord, the God of Israel, because He has come to His people and redeemed them. Now, Jesus didn't come. God didn't come in the flesh as Jesus to establish a holiday. He didn't come to create a bump in sales for retailers. He didn't, he didn't come just to see how we were doing. He already knew how we were doing and we weren't doing very well. Yes, He's the reason for the season. And don't get the big head, but you're part of that reason too. He came for you. He came for you. He sees the broken world you live in. He sees how spiritually bankrupt you are. And He says, I'm going to come and redeem. Which means to buy back what you've lost. You're that important to Him. You matter that much to Him that He wants to buy you back after you've been lost. And in verse 74 it says, He he has also come to rescue us from the hand of our enemies. You may say, well, yeah, Rome. No, not Rome. But the power of sin. He's come also to give His people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of of sins. What's so? What do we need saved from? A Roman, the Roman government, and 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 poverty and all that. No, it's your biggest problem. You need forgiven for your sin. He comes. He sees your danger, and God comes to save you, to rescue you. So Christmas is about God coming to redeem and rescue people from something far worse than something political. I love this in 1 Timothy 2. New century, I love the way it says this. He gave Himself as a payment to free all people. He is proof that came at the right time. I grew up on a farm in Golden Gate, Illinois, on my great-grandfather's farm. I grew up there and discovered every nook and cranny in every building was the Pharaoh house where a lot of sows gave birth to little pigs, sows that we named Spot and Gladys. There's the chicken house where we had, where I go get eggs every morning, and we raised chickens and peacocks and chuckers, and we had our calves. We'd have, we'd take our calves and we would milk them, you know, give them milk and take care of them in the chicken house. There's the grain ring. I see the granary as clear as day and where, you, where all the soybeans and the corn would go at harvest time. I scooped before we, we didn't have no fancy auger to put it in. We had to scoop it out. And my grandfather, my other grandfather, showed me how to scoop without hurting your back. Played in all those rooms, all those chambers. Then on top, mom going, what are you doing with that bed sheet? I made a parachute. I'm jumping off the granary. Do not do that. I do it, one corner comes off, pow, I hit the ground. No broken bones. Then there's the tool shed that has all the tractors 
It has all the tools in it. That's why it's called tool shed. And it's got a place where my great-grandfather has his anvil and he used to shoe all the plow horses in the area. The Belgians. Different, different draft horses. Then there's the little brooder house where we put chickens and rabbits in. Little uh, Quonset-shaped thing. Then you have the barn. Oh, the barn. Boy, played in that barn lots of times with our cousins, egg fights, tunnels, pigs, cows. I used to set, I remember Danny and I would open the big door in front of the barn, set in the straw and just watch it snow. It looked like a postcard from White Christmas. There's the garage where we played roller derby. Then there's the house. Wow. A lot of hiding places in a place like that, in a farm like that for a little kid. My mom and dad got a divorce and they sold everything, including the farm. And over the years, I would, when I'd come home to Bone Gap to see Denise's parents, I would we'd always once in a while drive by the old Gill place, the St. Ledger place. It was built on a hill like all the St. Ledger sons did back in the 1800s, early 1900s, when they came from England and Scotland. It's one of the last St. Ledger houses standing. Still there. All the rest of them are gone. I'd drive by you know, first couple of years, you know, I can't go on, I can't walk, I can't walk on that property anytime I want to now because it's off limits. I can't go there because it's not mine. I remember when they sold the place, mom says, well, if you boys want to buy it, you can. I'm 20 years old. Maybe it, there's, is it anybody in their 20s got a lot of money? I didn't. Didn't have anything. My older brother didn't have any money, and Danny? No, no money. You know, we could barely get enough money for soda. Okay, so so what do we what do we do? We can't buy it. No bank will trust us. So the place goes on the auction block. And over the years, I'd drive by and see how the farm was doing. And then I begin to notice the buildings begin to be in disrepair. I watched the the brooder house go. It's a pile of rubble. And then the Farron house gone, plowed under. Then the chicken house, this huge. Red brick chicken house collapses. The next thing you know, it's, as I drive over the years, it's gone. The granary begins to lean. I know its days are numbered. The tool shed, the tin on the tool shed is, from storms is peeled up. Now look at the barn. The barn, built by my great grandfather by his own hand. And it's starting to look like it's in trouble too. The, tin, the aluminum tin has been peeled off of it for money. Now it's naked boards. hundred years old. sits there in the weather. And I get to thinking, after 25 years, I finally have enough money. I do have enough credit line. And I call my brother and I said, listen, I know we can't buy the farm, but I'd like to buy the barn. Why don't we buy the barn? Would you go talk to the farmer, which is just a few miles away, that we know, and we grew up with him, 
ask him if we can buy the barn. Yeah, I don't know, you know Mike, I, my older brother, I go, please, go talk to him. Okay, tell him I'll give him 10 grand to start it off with. You start off with 10 grand, see what they say. Two weeks later, I happen to be in the area, and so I go, hey, Mike, let's go out, we go out driving around. I bring up the barn again, and we're driving near the house, and I said, so do you ever get to talk to him? No, maybe we could talk to him today. And we drive around the corner, and the barn's gone. It's been burned down. I kid you not, there's still smoke smoldering from the pile. Stop the truck. What are you doing? Stop the truck! I get out, I jump the fence, and I grab a board that's still got smoldering smoke coming off of it, and I grab some hinges you know, that are in the ashes, and I run back and Tim Gill, what are you doing? I said, I'm stealing something. That's what I'm doing. And Jesus will have to deal with me later. And I put him in the back of his truck. Go, make sure that they're going to catch the truck on fire. And I make sure it's out. And I got two boards in the back of his truck. And I am mad. I'm mad at him. Because I'm sorry, Tim. And then I realize I'm too late. I'm too late. Zachariah discovers I'm old. I'm childless. But God isn't too late. And thank God, praise God, He came at the right time. He came at the right time for you. Right now, you don't know what situation you're in. What's going on. But maybe you're at a point you're going, oh, it's too late. It's not too late. Don't doubt that anymore. Let Christmas change you. Let it convince you that God came for you. He came and He wasn't too late. And He came to make a payment to free you. To redeem you. What's the other thing I noticed? Well, here's another thing to believe. I have to believe God came to give me victory. He came to give me victory. I need to believe that. Like I said before, Zechariah may have believed the stories in some ways, but did he really believe them? What do you mean? Remember what, remember what he said? How can I be sure? I'm doubting that you can do this. Not anymore. Look what he says. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. He even mentions Mary. She's from the house of David. And as he said to the holy prophets long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. I could just see him thinking, you know, all my life, Lord, I've been coming and serving. Priests like me for 400 years have been coming and serving. We've been offering incense. I've been faithful to you. I have that reputation. You know how I feel about you. I've lived a blameless life, but I've been childless. I've been childless and and you've been silent the whole time this has been going on, but not anymore. Because you were so quiet, I thought, well, can you do anything? And now I realize you've broke that silence and you've convinced me you can and you will. I see your plan unfolding. I see what you're doing, what you've promised to do unfolding. See, the idea of horn, this idea of a horn in the Old Testament is, is signifies, represents power. The Bible talks about in the Old Testament like this, the horns of this nation will push out 
another nation. It refers to the horn of David that will rise up in power as he's king. Here's, here's a passage there on the screen. When, when Hannah finds out she has, she's going to have a child, she says these words, My heart rejoices in the Lord. Sounds like Zechariah. In the Lord my horn is lifted high. Sounds like Zechariah, doesn't it? What's she saying? Well, she goes on to say what, I, what she means. My mouth boasts over my enemies. Ha ha! I have victory over my enemies. For I delight in your deliverance. I know you supply the power and give the victory. Psalms 89.17, a, a, a fellow by the name of Ethan wrote this, and he said, For you are the glory and strength. Who, are, who is the glory and strength? Those who trust the Lord. You are the glory, their glory and strength. He said to God, their glory and strength. And by your favor, you exalt our horn. By your mercy, Lord, you lift our horn up. What are you saying? I give victory. You give victory, Lord, to your people who seek you and serve you. And Zechariah has discovered this. All those times, priests would come in. Did he say anything? Did God say anything? No, 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 no. Here's what to expect, Zechariah, when you go in. You're going to wave this around. You're going to offer some incense. You're going to say the prayer. And you're going to wait for a response. And guess what you're going to get? Nothing. He's going, not on my watch. That didn't happen to me. God raises His horn. I've realized now that He has raised His horn for me. I could just, again, I see Zechariah. How often we do this? We'll say, I believe God, but I don't, don't believe He can do it. I believe you, Lord. Zechariah, does he believe the stories in the Bible? Yeah, but does he believe God can do it to him? When you read the story of David and Goliath, I'm moved, aren't you? Excited. When you read the stories of Abraham and Sarah, any of the stories of, of, of Joseph, aren't you like, wow, this is cool. But is there a, a little bit of doubt inside going, will God work that way in my life? In other words, I'm moved emotionally, but I'm not moved to do anything. Is Zechariah able to have kids? What's the answer? Yes. No and yes. No, I'm too old. Yes. Gabriel is standing there in front of you. God is working in your life. He will give you the power to do that. See, so often I, this is what I catch myself doing, okay? Maybe I'm the only one. But I look at God's power through my problem rather than the other way around. Looking at my problem through God. I get it backwards. Well, I'm looking at both him, and I, I me too. But maybe in, not in the right order. Because when I start looking at my problem, I see how big it is. You know, I got this problem, Lord, and it's really it's it's blocking what I can see. When I need to go, I'd look up to the Lord and trust the Lord, then I could see my problem as it is, as it really is. Mark 9, Jesus is talking to a, a parent who has a child that has convulsions. And the, the parent comes up and says, if you can do anything, remember Jesus' response? If I can, 
Anything's possible for those that believe. And and what's his response? Well, I believe. Help me in my unbelief. Do you believe or not? I do, but help me in my unbelief. I think about Hook. Remember when he's got the gun to his head? He goes, I'm going to do it, Shmee. Stop me, Shmee. I'm, this time I'm really going to do it. Stop me, Shmee. Why are you standing over there to do something? Huh? I'm going to do it, Shmee. Get over here, Shmee. I believe you, Lord. Help me in my unbelief. What's he saying? Help my faith to be to grow. Don't we all have some doubts about God working? It's on paper. You know, it's a big thing to get it from there to my life. And Lord, help me in my unbelief. Well, Zechariah had unbelief, and God helped him with his unbelief. See, God wants to take us from, I believe what you say, to, I believe you can. Apostle Paul said it this way in Philippians 4 Christ gives me the strength to face anything. So, what's the answer here for me when I have doubts? Depend on God. Depend on God's power. Really lean on God's power. Number three, here's another thing I can believe. Not only does He come for me and He'll give me victory, but Zechariah encourages us to believe this at Christmas to believe God came here to include me. He came here to include me in what he was what he's doing. Sometimes it's easy to believe that God uses the sharp, slick, everybody's got it together kind of guy. Charismatic, talented, imagination. He's got all that stuff going. She's got all that stuff going for her. Well, look, look what Zechariah says here. Because he sees his weaknesses. He sees his shortcomings. And he says this now. He says, He came to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve Him without fear. In other words, I, I can serve Him without being insecure. I can serve Him without worry. In holiness. Not just without fear, but in holiness. Holiness means to take from something and pick it above from all out of everything and say, this is what I'm going to use. And I can serve knowing that God has selected me. And in righteousness. I'll screw it up. God will help you. You'll get it right. His mercy will cover your mistakes. And it says, and He'll do this, before Him, all our days. You know, God loves to use ordinary people. He'd rather use an ordinary person than someone slick. Because you can't tell, is it God or the person's slickness? And see, God says, you know, how do, I, how, do I, how do you make a diamond look, stand out? You put it behind something so different. So ordinary, like some cloth, some velvet, black cloth or something. So it can shine and it can stand out. And God knows, knows this. That's why He used people like shepherds. And He used fishermen and women and children, young and old. Ordinary people. Ordinary folk. And so after 400 years of silence, Four years of coming in and out of the holy place, God chooses Zechariah. A priest, not a high priest, a priest, a servant, to break his silence. 
And Zechariah realizes, when you broke your silence with me, you included me. You included me in this thing. Because I, I wasn't praying for a kid. Why are you giving me a son now? I was praying that you'd bring the Messiah. Wait a minute. You need me to help get this done. You're wanting to use me to get this. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm going to give you a son. And your son's going to be great. He's going to do this and 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 this. Well, what do I do? He goes, raise him. Be a good dad. That's your role. Do that part. Just do that part. I can do that. There you go. Now shut up for a while and think about it. Well, that's going to work. <laughs> Look what he says about his kid. And you, my child. So when he gets the chance, he says, he doesn't, you know, he says, man, God came for us. He came to enable us. He came to, to serve in holiness and righteousness. And he looks and he goes, and you, my son, now well, you're going to be called a prophet. You know, every, back, I don't know if it's always true now, but some dads get off and their kids follow in their footsteps. Now some dads go, I don't want you to follow me because <laughs> you don't want to go that way. But mostly, follow, you, want to, you want to do that too? Awesome! That was common then. But he says, you're going to be a prophet. I had no trouble with that. You're going to do something else. Listen, folks, all you have to do for God to be, to be included in this is do your part. And your part may be different than someone else's. But just do your part well. And by the way, your part may be obscure at times. And sometimes that may be real important. But you've got to do your part. Be a prophet called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord and prepare a way for Him to give His people the knowledge of salvation through forgiveness of sins. See, at first, Zachariah is doubting if God can work through him. Not anymore. He believes God will enable him. He, will, he realized God enabled him to have this child because he couldn't do it on his own. I love this passage in 1 Corinthians. It's up here on the screen. Paul said it this way, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. What's he saying? You were ordinary. Most of you are ordinary. A majority of you are just ordinary people. But God chose. He chooses ordinary. The more, I, Tim, I'm pretty ordinary. I'm just a regular old guy. Boy, you, you are in the crosshairs of God to be used. Really? Yeah, you've got to be slick and have it all together before God passes you up, pal. You're out of luck. Because I'm just, I'm just a regular old guy. I work in a factory. I work in an office. I put in auto glass. Yeah, God, God loves it. You're perfect for the job. You're hired. No, wait a minute. I'm just, I don't offer anything. You're perfect for the job. Oh. God chose the foolish things of the world. How many of you qualify there? My wife reminds me all the time. To shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world. How many of you are weak? From age, sickness, education, insight, maturity. God chose you. You're perfect for the job. God's weird. You're right. 
And he's wise. He knows what he's doing. Chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things in this world. You poor? You don't have a lot? Lowly things of the world. You're not the sharpest tool in the shed. You might not even be in the same shed. You might be sitting out in the yard rusting. You're lowly. Nobody respects you. Nobody respects me. God says, I want to choose you. Why would you choose me? You know, if you're going to have a dream team, you don't choose for basketball, you don't choose the shortest guy in the, at your first choice. I do. Because how in the world is the world going to see how powerful I am if I work through all the slick people? To despise things, the despise things. Anybody despising you? They turn their, you turn heads, but it's the other way. You know, they don't even want to be around you. Oh, you're perfect for the job. Don't you hate this verse? Look at this. <laughs> it says here, despise things of the world and the things that are not. And things that are not. I'm not what I need to be. I'm not the kind of man. I'm not the kind of woman. I'm not the kind of leader. I probably need to get out so someone else can get in. He's going, you know what he's going to do when you leave a vacancy? Fill you in with another person that's not. By the way, he uses people better when they have this mindset than, I think I deserve a break. I think I deserve a position. I think I deserve a right to be heard. I think God can't use you with that kind of attitude. He's going to pass you up and go, I'll take the guy behind him. You sit down. Shut up. You need to learn more. I'll pick the guy behind you. I'll pick the woman beside you. It says, it, it is be, it says so that no one can boast. There it is before him. There you go. It is because of him. And look, it's because of him. It's because of God. It's because of Jesus. It all because of him. Listen to that enabling message there. Because of him that you're in Christ Jesus. You're saved to begin with. Who has become for us wisdom from God. That is, and look, there's those words. Righteousness. Holiness. And redemption. Just like Zechariah said. They all come from God. Any confidence you have has come from God. And He wants to include you. I don't know who I'm talking to this morning. I think a whole bunch of people that think, I'm done. Been there. I've been there many times. And every time I try to get out, God drags me back in. Oh! Why? He wants to include me. He wants to include you. And so what do I do with this, this belief, if I believe this? All i got to do is be willing to do my part at the time. Just do my part. Be a dad. John, be a prophet. Mary, be a mom. Here's the last thing and I'm going to be done. Oh, it's 11.20. Not time for Burger King to open. Here we go. Number four, believe God came here to guide me. I'll tell you if, you, if you picked one of these, just one of these things to believe in this Christmas, it would bless your life. 
I love this one. Believe God came here to guide me. You know, Zachariah once doubted. I, I, I know I keep bringing it up. He says, how can I be sure? How can I be sure? He feels like he's on his own. I'm old. She's old. That's how he used to believe. But during this silence, he's reconsidering that. And when his silence is broken, he says, now God will help me. He says, now God will show me the way. He says, now God makes what I doubted sure. Last week, I got to play golf. Every Monday morning, I get with James Lampley, and we go try to play golf. Now, we don't play golf if it's below 50 degrees. Now, we haven't been playing golf for, for several weeks. 49. Can't do it. You know, it's below 50. Well, last Monday, if you remember, it was 56 degrees, 6 o'clock in the morning. Those of you who are awake, you know that, right? I looked at my phone, 56, it can't be right. I must be Atlanta there. No, no, it says Godfrey. They text him, golf? See you there, brother. It's 56 degrees. I'm there at 6 a.m. in the morning. It is dark. You guys see the supermoon? But the supermoon was out. Supermoon. It was huge. It was huge. And you know, I gotta tell you, you could kind of see stuff. I mean, it's golf now. And I'll tell you, golf, light comes in handy when you're playing golf. And here we are at six, about six twenty-eight, and the super moon is right here. And here's and we're playing the par three course. I play a short course. It builds my confidence. And so I go, James, he, he always takes the, the tee and spins it, and then it lands either pointing him or pointing my way, or either if it's a little bit his way, it's his turn. Well, it points at me. I'm first. I can barely make up. We see the green. You think we should go ahead? Oh, why not? I see the green. I can't see the flags. But what's that matter? I never hit the green, so here we go. <laughs> and I take my practice swings. I go, watch the ball. He goes, got it, brother. Whack! Hit it perfect. That sounded great. And then all of a sudden you hear thud. Is it that way? Your turn. How did you hit that? I don't I even know where I hit it, man. Come on. He goes, Wah! and he hits it. Did you see it? I go, no. Supermoon's going. Best it can to show us all the light it's got. I mean, it was huge. Big moon. I have to admit it was super. Thud. I think it landed over that way. So here we go, pulling our carts, and we're saying to each other, why did we do this? I don't know. We just wait a while. It's okay. Uh, the balls are just off the green. He double bogey, and I bogey. I never thought I'd brag about bogeying a hole. That's a stroke over, but hey. So then we go to the second hole, and he goes, I go, man, it's supermoon. I thought we should always be bright. He goes, don't worry about it, brother, look. And we look off to the east. And there it is. Orange. Bright yellow. He goes, sun's coming up. And that'll make everything fine. I don't know what it is. As I get older, as I get older, I need more light. 
uh, put in a windshield this week, and they said, would you like us to pull it inside? That new bolt Would you like to pull it inside? No. It's 30 degrees outside, Tim. Yeah, but it, the sun's out, and I can see. As I get older, it seems like I need more light. I thought that was supposed to be the opposite. Because I need more God's light when I'm younger, but I'm finding out as I get older, I need more of God's light. Even now. Look what he says. In this context of He has come, he says, because of His tender mercy, our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet to the path of peace. What's he talking about? He's saying the sun is coming up for the first time in 400 years. For the first time in 2,000 years. After 400 years of nothing, I just found out the sun is coming up. And what a difference the sun makes. It's going to shine. It's coming from heaven to shine on those living in darkness. I get in trouble when I'm in the dark. How about you? I stub my toe. I do. I have. I make. I have accidents, but also I get into mischief in the dark. Right? Where I find most of my sin is when the lights are out, when no one can see, in my private world. We were talking about this at our tech meeting. We don't talk about anything at tech meeting. There once in a while we do about the life Matt Lauer projects and the light. Matt Lauer actually has and the gap between the two. And how important it is to narrow that gap as much as possible. Got awful quiet in here. God's light comes to shine in that gap. To reveal to us who we are, who He is, and what He can do in our lives. As an old man, Zachariah is saying, I don't see it, but now... You've shown me so much. Let me ask you this morning, are you living in some darkness? God wants to shed light there to reveal not how bad you are and how to get out of it. Path out of it. Maybe you've got the shadow of death. Maybe you're in a situation where something's just not going really well. For death has touched your life. I think when I think about the shadow of death, he says here, I think about Psalm 32. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. David, I can imagine him saying that as he stands in the shadow of Goliath, and as God turns the lights on, he goes, Now I can see how to defeat this giant. See, the rising sun shines not to bust you out, but to get you out of a path that you shouldn't be on to a path of peace. To a path that leads to peace. I love John here. He says, The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And it came on Christmas. There's Christmas lights on everywhere. I've been, I've been to Rock Springs twice now. And there's Christmas lights on my house. I can find my house clear across subdivision by the lights that's got on it. 
They kind, of, they kind of lead me to the home. And if you feel like you're in the dark, I want you to know this morning there is a Christmas light on for you. It comes from heaven. It's Jesus Christ. And He shines not just for everyone, He shines for you to help you find your way home. If you ever get lost in the darkness, look for His light. It will bring you home. And He'll put you on a path of peace. Security. Worry-free. You know, it's interesting to me, I guess, this last verse. Look at this last verse. This is what the priests would say when they came out after offering incense. They've been doing this for years. Hundreds of years. They would say to the people, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn His face toward you and give you peace. Notice, I want you to notice, he said, may the Lord do that. Hopefully the Lord will do that someday. Zechariah says, it's happened. He's turned His face on you. And He shines towards you. He lights up a path for you to take. All you have to do is be willing to follow. That's the lesson. That's the points God gave me in my pickup truck. In 30 seconds. I think they're powerful. I don't know where you are this morning. You have a card in your bulletin that uh, you can use. You either write a response out like, I'm going to start, I don't know which, why don't you do this? Why don't you write, which of these do you need to believe the most? Do I need to believe God came for me? Is that what I need to believe this Christmas? Is that what God wants you to believe? If you were quiet and just thinking, would God say, no, I want you to believe that I will give you victory. That I, have, I do have power over what you're facing. Or is God wanting you to believe that you're included in His plan? Maybe you've taken yourself out of the game and God's saying, I don't want you on the bench anymore. I want you in this. I want to use you where you work. I've got things I'm trying to do at work, in your house, in your neighborhood, at McDonald's when you're there. Would you just do your part? Do your part as a parent. Do your part as a young man or a young woman. As an old man. An old woman. And maybe you believe that God's wanting to guide you. He's trying to guide me. I need to believe He guides me. And He will guide me on paths that are best for me. You can take your own path. How's that working? Maybe you believe that. But why don't you jot that? Have, have, your, have the prayer the people in the prayer team pray about. Help me believe this. We're going to give you an opportunity to fill out that card while we sing a song, and then we're going to um, sing another song and take up those cards as well as the weekly contribution. May God bless you as His face shines upon you to give you all kinds of peace. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this morning. Thank You for, Father, this powerful song in Luke and this old man. Father, I just think what a powerful song. Father, we all have struggle sometimes with doubts. Things are said to us, things that happen to us, and doubt rears its ugly head and makes us wonder, where, we, where, where are we in all this? 
And Father, sometimes the, the, the doubts spill into becoming moments of just unbelief. We don't want to sing. We don't want to share faith. We don't want to talk in a small group. We're speechless. We're silent. Father, I pray if there's those of us here like that, that you'll, you use that silence right now to encourage them, to encourage us to believe why, you're, why you came. To convince us, Father, that you love us, that you want to use us, that you will enable us, and that you'll take care of us and guide us. And I know there's some people here today. Christmas is coming, and their mom won't be there, their wife won't be there, their father won't be there. Maybe an uncle or an aunt or a grandparent will not be at the table. They won't. There won't be a present for them or from them. And Father, it'll just kind of darkens like uh, the shadow of death. Father, I pray. We, I pray for light to shine. Your Christmas lights to shine really bright right now into these hearts that are hurting, that have been dimmed by death. And Father, give them all kinds of peace. Give them joy. Give them great joy. Okay, in Christ's name, amen.